Support for the Exponent Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who's the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 7 million men worldwide who have trusted Manscaped with their exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code EXPLORMINATE at manscaped.com. And if my math is correct, that's about 14 million balls. Guys, you know you've made a big when Manscaped is actually willing to support your podcast like this. And honestly, I wasn't going to agree to this until I tried the products out and made sure that they were something that I felt comfortable advertising like this. But now that I've tried it, I cannot tell you how amazing these products are. They're extremely high quality. And after using them, I can attest to the fact that they are gentle on all of your body. I was also given their beard trimmer, and I can't tell you how nice my beard looks now. I am never going back to another product. And I'm not just saying that because these guys are supporting Explorinate like this. They are just amazing products. I'm really impressed. And probably the best part is that these all are waterproof, which means you can do all of this in the shower and you don't leave a big mess. I love it. So Forex fans, get 20% off and free shipping with the code Explorinate at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code EXPLORMINATE. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Explorate Podcast. Hey folks, welcome back to the Explorate podcast. I'm your host, Battle Mode. Rob's not with us this week, but we've also got Drexy and Daz Tactic. Hey guys. Hey, how are you all? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. And you, Drex? Oh yeah, you yeah, know, I'm good. Some exciting topics that I'm looking forward <laughs> to speaking about. And how are you, Battle Mode? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good, yeah. Um, it's three in the morning. <laughs> so, um, I, yeah, other than being a little bit tired and having to fill myself full of caffeine in order to kind of keep functioning, everything's all right. <laughs> <laughs> this week, we're going to have a bit of a chat about two games particularly. And unfortunately, Rob's not here. I, I think Rob would have been perfect to discuss these two games because he feels very very differently about them than than drexy and i do at least and i believe daz is probably on the same kind of page so you might find that this is this turns into a little bit of a circle jerk about these two games that we all we all three of us really like but fanboys we're all fanboys fan <laughs> yeah i mean those games deserve us being fanboys because they've really come on a long way both of them 
Uh, and uh, yeah, but Ro- it was it's a shame that we ha- haven't got Rob here to counterpoint it. So I'm going to try to present Rob's case as, as I understand it. Um, and Drexy, you probably have a go at that too. I, I've got some cr- critics of both of them, to be honest. But uh, yeah. yeah, so have I. Um, yeah, I, I but- do too. So I'm going to introduce the games. It's Master of Magic, and then we're going to talk about Distant Worlds 2. Both games that are kind of sequels, I guess. I mean, one is a remake, the other one's a sequel. Uh, but it's a sequel that's very just kind of similar to the original. And they both released in kind of a sort of mixed state, I'd say. Whereas Master of Magic, I think, was a much better game on release than Distant Worlds 2. Do you think that's a fair point? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, it's um, Master of Magic hasn't changed much since release. And, uh, and like when you look at the ratings, they, they did actually start with reasonable ratings. But Distant Worlds, as you say, has just improved out of sight over the over the last 12 months. So it's, um, I mean, Master of Magic has really only been released for, what, three months? So it's still early days yet. But we've had nearly 12 months now with with uh, Distant Worlds. And, uh, yeah, like yeah, as I say, you know, Distant Worlds is just incredible where it actually is right now. Let's start with Master of Magic, Daz. And I think that when the game released, there were some sort of issues with user interface. And I think that that has mostly been fixed now, at least for me. When the game released, there was some of the criticisms and the negative reviews were talking about things like game pacing, but not necessarily the mechanics-based game pacing, but more just, you know, because the game was kind of slow to play because there wasn't kind of speed settings for things like the battles and the campaign map movement speed. And that's all been sort of implemented in subsequent patches. It's sort of half half for me, to be honest. The, I find the battles still awkward, the user interface in the battles to be awkward, because um, you've got to wait for the animation to finish before you can then start your next plan with the next unit. And I don't like that. I hope that they do fix that at some point. Uh, it doesn't do that on the, uh, on the, as you say, on the strategic map. You can actually go and queue up orders and uh, and have things uh, moving concurrently, but not in the battles. Yeah, that is a bit of a strange thing. Um, but I find that the strategic movement is the big thing for me. And I think coming from playing Caster of Magic, where, and I'm not really sure, sh- I can't exactly remember whether this was a, definitely an issue in Caster or whether it, uh, whether it's just my memory, but Caster seemed to be faster. And I feel that the it was something to do with the population growth. Now, um, people who've played both recently might be able to kind of come in and say, no, that's not the case. But um i felt that the early game in master of magic is so slow compared to caster of magic and um i i I need to be able to disentangle in my head whether it was just because of the initial slow speed of the movement because it i remember playing on i got i got a copy from slytherin and i was kind of showing it off in a in a live stream and it just felt so slow and i kind of i like i stopped after about an hour and a half because i just I was just kind of getting bored and I could tell the people who were watching were sort of like, like getting bored as well. And it, and it, it put a real downer on the game. Whereas I've been playing it recently and I really feel that um, either I've got used to it or the issue has gone away in some way. Um, so I don't know if it's actually the population growth or whether it was just the slow speed of the strategic movement that was really winding me up somehow. Yeah, I think um, because the turns were uh, slower to take because the animation speeds were slower, then you noticed how slow the population growth is. So I think that's probably one of the biggest problems I have with the game. Because let's face it, it's a, what is it, 30-odd-year-old game, almost 30 years. So how games played back then to how they do now is very different. Because everything is really, the the main bottleneck in the game is food, right? So you need A, hype up towns, and B, make a lot of towns to 
compensate for for the lack of food because basically food is is based for those who haven't played it is based on how many troops you can have on the map. Yeah, I actually, I found it actually quite the opposite uh, from what both uh, you know Trixie and uh, Battlemate have sort of uh, have, have said, uh, because the actual movement on the strategic map is double or basically double uh, what it is in um, in the original game. Um, which I didn't realise that for quite some time. I was playing it and, re- and thinking, wow, this is so much better paced than the original game uh, without realising that it actually doubled a lot of the actual uh, strategic movement. Because in the original game, it's it's just one one tile. Like you can only like the base units only move one tile per turn. Whereas yeah, in the in this in this new remake, it's the the base movement is two per turn. And uh, for me, that made a massive difference. So I, I didn't really have, I didn't feel that it was slow paced at all in that sort of sense. Hang on, that doesn't sound right to me. Are you talking about in the combat or on the strategic map? Because in the strategic map, certain units in Master of Magic have always moved more than one. I think there was only, uh, there were, I, I can't even think of which ones would move just one. But one of the one of the changes that was made in Caster, there's two big changes that were made in Caster of Magic to address problems in the original game. One of them was that he slowed the roads down. So what what was happening in Master of Magic because you could only because of the food issue and Drex is quite right. Your main bottleneck is food and gold. Um, your, those are your two main bottlenecks for creating new armies because you could only ever really have one or one or two armies maximum. Even when you had a really big art, when even when you had a really big empire. Uh, people were using that one army just to zip around the map in their territory using the roads and it, they, they were just scooting across the map too quickly so what Cerevi did was he he made it so that roads weren't anywhere near as effective at movement so it, it actually reduced the movement bonus of of roads but he also then decreased the amount of gold and food required for for certain um, military units and so you were able to field more more armies now that obviously that has the knock-on effect of being of making the game a little bit more for those kind of people who really hate m- managing lots of armies and lots of cities caster of magic is probably going to be worse even than master of magic because you have to, you, you have to have more more and smaller armies if you see what i mean rather than just this one big army that you use to sort of zip around the map uh, and just defeat something in the north then next turn you fly to the south and defeat something there um and I think that the, what they've done with the Muhar's version is the maps are bigger, as far as I can see. It, they seem like loads bigger, and hexes are also change how things move. So I think that's why they've doubled the. That, that's why they've increased some of the movement speeds. I don't think it's made the game any faster at all. I think it's actually it plays slower than Caster of Magic, and um, I think that that's something to do with. It's something to do with the size of the maps in in the Muhar's game because they just feel huge to me. Yeah, I, I know. Uh, I didn't mention gold, but I find gold is very easy to get into in this game. Like because you you can transmute gold into mana, even if it's a two to one ratio. I, I just had no issue with it. So I would actually like to, them to scale back the gold regeneration, maybe slightly increase the food generation. But that said, I have actually enjoyed having very few armies and still being able to like compete with the AI and win games. Like a lot of the games I had, I had maybe three armies max, sometimes two. Apart from the one game I cheesed with pretty much one unit and then I came across the the main towns with towers that I was having issues with. So I built two units and won the game with those two units. <laughs> but we can discuss the broken part of Master Magic in in a bit. 
Yeah, I'm, actually, I'm interested to know what unit that was. <laughs> uh, Shadow Ghoul, I think it was. Oh, okay. Shadow Ghoul. Actually, I've just I just looked up. Uh, sorry, guys, just to go just to wind it right back to um, I just looked up in the Master of Magic wiki, and yes, one one tile was the movement back in the day. There you go. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, it doesn't mean to. <laughs> this is it's been such a while since I played the original Master of Magic game. Um, it's mostly caster I've played, and I get confused between the two, to be honest, which is not helpful at all for your analysis. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Caster is a is a great addition, isn't it? Really, um, you know, with the great mod, um, and I'm now sort of, I guess, I've gone back to being more used to the old Master of Magic. I guess over, uh, you know, before before Master of Magic the the remake came out, I was playing a lot of the original just so I could get my head into that into that headspace. Yeah, I just want to. Um, Drexy made an interesting point about gold, and he's saying you, you know, maybe it needs to be knocked back a bit. I don't think it does. I think a lot of the strategies in Master of Magic are based around either gold or transmutation of gold because certain retorts work with certain buildings. Like certain wizards basically really want to be kind of pushing gold and, you know, building gold based stuff, and then they're transmuting it into mana later on. And you, you can kind of really what you want to be doing is transitioning your economy from building steady you know like uh recruitable units into the summonable stuff towards the end of the game because they're more powerful at least that's kind of the idea i think that was the idea again caster of magic really a lot of the mechanics in that would change to kind of push that kind of gameplay it was noticed that uh particularly with i mean some of the spell some of the what i forget how you refer to them but the different you know the different schools of magic some of them really weren't that good um, like death was kind of really not that great, and I think that one of the one, some of the stuff that Cerevi was doing was trying to make it so that people weren't relying solely on the recruited units later in the game. So that's at that point your 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 economy really wants to be kind of transitioning into kind of doing the summons. So it had a lot of it had a lot of kind of changes that made certain you know death summons better. Like there's some weird stuff though. For example, like ghouls in in base game Master of Magic, and it's translated over into into muhar's version they're really they're a bad unit they've got to get close in order to be able to attack and the whole point of them is that they they're able to raise up you know debt units from the dead afterwards but they have to get close in order to do that and they just get killed they're like you have to bring overwhelming forces for ghouls to work and then it's kind of like diminishing returns on what you're getting back from them. Uh, so in Castor, for example, he, he gave them a sort of ranged attack, like a kind of venom spit thing, which made them way more effective, but kind of thematically it just felt a bit strange. And I think a lot of people didn't really like that. And Castor's kind of full of stuff like that. Yeah, but I mean, you you were mentioned about uh, certain mages wanting to transmute gold, but I, I believe some mages get uh, one-to-one transmute, while a lot of them, most of them are two-to-one. So I think yeah. that is the the... the the bottleneck with well, it's supposed to be the bottleneck for transmuting gold to mana. But I found even with two to one mages, I was I was like having six k gold, and it was no problem just throwing three three k gold into transmute and still having more than enough to do what I needed to do. One thing I do want to discuss because I want to try and wrap this up because we still need to speak about distant worlds is what do you guys think about them sticking pretty close to the original rather than either going for cast of magic or maybe just doing their own changes. Well, they've done some, but I think maybe they could have gone a bit further or not. I feel that they were, well, I'm not sure what happened, whether Slytherin told them, no, you've got to have this as close to the original as possible 
or they I, I did hear something about maybe beta testers who were all Master Magic 1 players from back in the day complaining about any changes they made that stray too far from Master Magic. I'm not sure if that's true, but I'm sure I read that somewhere. But I think that's kind of bit him uh, in the arse, so to speak, for a lot of new players and probably for sales as well. Because, again, now now it's out. If you look on like the Forex Reddit or whatever, people just say, oh, no, this is boring. It doesn't bring anything new to the table or anything like that. So I think that's kind of... Whilst they kind of... Uh, damned if they do, damned if they don't kind of situation. And I think damned for um, keeping it so close to the original because obviously it's not sold as well as it should have really. I don't know. Like it's it's one of those things. I know that when it actually first came out, um, uh, when they first announced it, I was hoping for a Caster of Magic rather than a Master of Magic because Caster of Magic is by far the better of the two games. And I was assuming that that would be where they'd go. And then when I saw that it wasn't called Master of Magic 2, it was just called Master of Magic, I then sort of thought, I wonder why they made that decision. And th that was when it sort of then came out that it's going to be a remake of the original, not the Caster of Magic. Um, so... I got my head around that pretty pretty easily because I then thought, okay, this is a baseline. So we're looking at a baseline build um, ready to then go in whichever direction they want to take it. And I think that when we, we haven't spoken about the new DLC, which I guess we should speak about that a little bit as well. But for me, the new DLC is very exciting because it does show directions that they can take the game. And so they're going to be able to sort of start to expand it into, um, into all sorts of different directions, I feel. And, and also with the modding as well, like they, they've made the game very, very mod friendly. And so there's already a lot of really, really cool mods that have actually been built for the game in a very, very short period of time. So in that sort of sense, I, I'm actually, I was, as I say, originally hoping for Caster of Magic, and, and, uh, but when I saw it wasn't Master of Magic 2, I was actually, I got a lot of heart out of that because otherwise they would have called it Master of Magic 2 if, if it was going to be a, a uh, you know, basically sort of build it and dump it type type exercise it looks like they're in it for the long haul uh just simply because of the naming <laughs> so i was i was very happy with that from that aspect and uh, as i say with the uh, with the dlc i'm really really happy with that uh like the or the free the free lc or the flc if you want to call it that or the or the you know the the, the free update uh because it does show it it shows it gives you a hint of the direction the game could head, uh, just you know, either through modding or through expansions. Okay, so just to kind of clarify what I understand of how this game, why 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 this game went in the way that it did, we actually interviewed Mila from uh, from Muha, and she told us straight basically, uh, well, kind of in a roundabout way, but she basically said that that I think they really wanted more freedom on the game and they didn't really get it uh, they were they were told no you need to do a fairly straight remake and then you can build use that as a a basis to kind of do new stuff which is exactly what they've done and Jaxie's quite right we've discussed this several times on the podcast before but so I think everybody knows my opinion on this now but I feel that the game really was pulled in two different directions and I don't really know who it was who it was it wasn't clear who it was kind of designed to be for because you know they they kind of went for this remake you know straight remake so that they could build something new and that's always going to annoy people like rob for example who wanted something completely different because he feels that the game design in master of magic is just so old and outdated that it's not fun anymore and 
I don't agree with that at all. Like Rob and I really disagree on this one. I think it's still a great game design. That's why people are still playing it 30 years later. Yeah, I, I'm with you guys on that. I, I, I disagree with Rob on that one. Yeah, it's not an old, it's, it is an old game design and there are certain things. He doesn't like the city spam, for example, and that's why he likes Conquest of EO because there is no city building, but that's not a 4X game to me. That's It's, it's an RPG with tactical combat. It's not a 4X game. And I, it, I think it's a great game, by the way. The little I've played it, I've really enjoyed it. The combat is great, but it's not, it, it's so different to Master of Magic that I just don't think you can even compare them. Master of Magic is superficially similar to it in that they, you know, Conquest of EO kind of sh- shares, sorry, just for people who don't know what I'm talking about, Spellforce, Conquest of EO, it shares some kind of game mechanics with Master of Magic in that you've got magic nodes, you've got the tactical combat, which is very, very similar. You know, um, it's, it's a tighter, more modernized tactical combat, but it's kind of similar and it's simpler in certain respects, but it's also got more options in there. So it's just it, it's just a different game. But um, if it's a straight remake, I'm kind of now I'm thinking, all right, so they've gone for this straight remake. They've, they've kind of they they took a side in that kind of whole argument between is it going to be uh, you know for the original fans or is it going to be for new fans who want to play the original or is it going to be for people who want a, a totally new game and they've kind of like gone in two directions now and i feel like the, the horse is pulling the chariot in you know three different directions at this point so they had to do something strong with this dlc and i, I agree with daz i think it's really good uh, at least from what i from what little i've played with it so far i'm not sold on some of the retorts that they brought in like the one that the dwarf, the the bearded dwarf Bianca has, is like stone mason or some or stone like it's something that just gives you walls in your cities. And she's a nature mage anyway, so you can kind of you can get access to um, wall of stone. I think it is. So it just seems like a really bizarre. And, that, and it also gives you the ability for your for your troops, your base troops with your base race to be able to kind of build roads, which I just think is a really useless skill, honestly. I think if you're playing dwarves, you know, in 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 the mirror plane, which is what she seems to be kind of geared towards, I don't know. It just seems, it seems like a strange retort to me. I wouldn't. I would. I'd rather have a magic book than that any day of the week. Uh, or you know, I'd rather give her something like alchemy. You know, like the one for one magic or gold transfer, because I think that would that would synergize really well with how dwarves play. So I don't know, but it's it's all giving you new options, right? And I think that that's. If they're going to use, you know, if they're going to keep adding content to this, like Daz is, you know, saying, I think that's a really great thing. They're going to, that is going to differentiate it from Caster. And we knew that, by the way, that this wasn't going to be, I, I knew early on that this wasn't going to be Caster of Magic because Slytherin made Cerevi call Caster of Magic, uh, Caster of Magic for Windows, you know, the new version. He wanted to call it Caster of Magic 2. That was what it was originally called on the, the you know, when, on Realms Beyond where he kind of hangs out with his mates and they all do the testing for it. But I, I think Slytherin were like, no, we're going to call it Caster of Magic for Windows because we want to separate this from the, you know, the original mod and from the new Master of Magic that we're creating, which is just going to be called Master of Magic. So that we did have a bit of a hint early on. Yeah, I think um, I can actually kind of agree with Rob because I never actually played Master of Magic, the original. Well, I've loaded it a few times and looked at it and thought, oh, this is just, it's just too old for me. So so I've had the game, what, a week or two now? Uh, March, uh, no, that was when I last played. Yeah, I think I've had it for about two weeks. So at first I did find it a lot, lot of it quite strange and old-fashioned. But I've now, I've, you can see how how much I've enjoyed the game because I've managed to play forty hours in the past two weeks, and for most of the past week I've been playing Distant World. So, That's yeah, a good one. I've, I've That's sort good of really got into it. But I do agree with Rob that 
I did find having to spam cities just to keep up with food was kind of annoying, really. And it's a very old school sort of paint the map type situation, which, yeah, I think I'm used to it now. But but yeah, at first it was kind of annoying and sort of felt very slow to me. Can I just jump in very quick? Just uh, sorry, uh, you don't need to paint the map, right? Up to a point, you need to you need to keep up with food, but really, you need to be transitioning into mana production. So it depends on your build, but certain wizards are really, really good at not having to have loads of cities. And there is a certain point in the game where it's just kind of there's there's yeah, but I mean, you gotta get up at least quite early. You have to get up quite a lot of cities. Um... Yeah, you have to get enough and, that you can well, go. Well, coming from a new player, knowing, well, I I worked out that you have, it's probably better, it's not, don't try and go for like the best tile, it's almost better just to try and get everything packed in as close as possible, rather than uh, what you'd think naturally, thinking, oh, you know, oh, this tile's going to give me 22 max population plus 30 production, where in the end, because... The cities take so long to build it. You know, cool if you get some cities that can go that high, but for the majority of cities, if they're only 15 to 18 max population, then that's fine. It's it's really, I find them really there for just for the food growth. And the other thing was it took me a while to get used to or giving up building those cities to the familiar which, <laughs> you know, which is great because then you don't have to worry about it. But as someone who didn't play games, Forex games back then, it was really weird to give up that control. It's like, oh, I don't really want to trust an AI to do this. But yeah, because you put down so many cities, it's just so much easier to put, especially early on, just put the familiar into control of them. Yeah, look, again, I think with the new DLC, I mean, the, the goblins that have come in, they've got very, very high growth rate. Yeah, I, I know what you mean about the city city spam, and it's one of the things that many games, I guess in the early 2000s, games started to sort of find ways to limit your expansion because it was it did get onerous uh, doing it. But I've played about 200 turns in the new version with the, with the goblins, and the goblins are really geared for city expansion. You need to be expanding as quickly as you can with the goblins because that's their strength. Their strength is not in army. It's in production. And so they make lots of gold, they make lots of mana, They basic, but you need lots of cities for that to actually happen. And their cities grow very, very fast. So in that sense, I was just – I've been – like I haven't found it onerous because I've just been – because they also can't make use of mithril or adamantine as, as well, I just keep those areas free for beastmen because beastmen work well with the goblins. And so I leave the adamantine in particular is, is going to be for beastmen units. Sometimes, like if like I've got in the current game I'm playing, I've got like a lot of uh, dark elves, and I've, I do actually have an adamantine dark elf unit as well. But useless for dwarves. Dwarves hate working for the goblins, so you can't really make good use of those. So you really are left with really the goblin cities are just there purely to pump out gold. Is is all that they end up doing. So you just build them up to a point where they can just be sort of set and forget, and just put them on. I uh, forget, forget what the setting is called, where all they do is just generate gold. You're not building city. You're not building. Look, once you've got your basic income stream, you just let them then just build uh, build gold. And uh, I'm just swimming in gold in the game I'm playing because of the Goblin City. So I've, I've actually quite enjoyed it. I, I normally don't like the expansion like that. I like I like the limitation, but 
it hasn't been that bad, particularly with the new change that they've made with the surveyor mode, where it now colours the map uh, when you've got a, a settler selected. It'll give you an indication, like just in green, orange and red, as to how viable a location is for your for your city building. So it becomes very simple to plan that out. So for me, it's hasn't really been a big issue. Yeah, so I think kind of to address one, some of the points that Drexy was making and also to kind of give Rob's point of view a little bit, as I understand it, I think part of the issue is, and this is something that Lucid mentioned when I interviewed him, or when we interviewed him like a couple of years ago, when he was talking about Master of Magic as being one of the games that he quite likes. He said one of the problems with Master of Magic, though, is that it's so difficult that you have to play it loads to be get to get any good at it. And I'd go even further. I think that you have to play it for quite a long time to really see what the game has to offer. Turns out that there's lo- it's a real 4X game and there's loads and loads and loads of different ways to play it. Like Daz has just told you one way to play it. You can spam out cities, you can like get loads of gold. Uh, you can kind of translate that part of that gold income into mana or whatever. There's loads of different ways to play this and it's because it's a real 4X game. And I think that part of the problem, like every time I've ever seen anybody really critique Master of Magic and say that it's a bad game, on questioning, it always turns out that they've just not played it for very long because you can't play Master of Magic for more than 20, like maybe if you play Master of Magic for about 40 hours, which I think is the minimum you need to understand a 4X game, you will start to see the depth of the game. You've got to play several games through, try different builds, try different spell schools, try the different races, and then start coming up with build, you know, with your own kind of approach to the game. And you'll find that it's so different every time you play it, providing you actually vary who you play as. Like, the death magic plays completely differently to chaos. Nature magic plays completely different to those two. Like nature is kind of like a mix of everything. You get a little bit of buffs, you get some unit summons, uh, you know, you get some debuffs, you get some kind of like the sorcery stuff, whereas sorcery just plays completely different. And life magic is all about buffing. So, you know, that's more about heroes. It's completely different depending on who you play it with um, or what, you know, who you play. So, the game is a slow burner. We've already we've already kind of said that. It's like a, it's a slow game. You have to kind of you have to kind of play Master Magic quite a lot to really get it. And yeah. that's the problem. I don't think it's beginner friendly at all. I think that, you know, it's it's quite brutal if especially if you're if you're a veteran forex gamer and you just bang it on, you know, you know, you're oh, I'm going to play it on hard straight away and then you just get rolled over by the AI pretty quick. Then it's kind of, you know, it's a bit like what what the hell's going on here? Caster's really bad for that as well because Caster's really difficult. Yeah, can I just jump in here? Because just because the point you made, I've, I've pretty much experienced what you experienced. When I first started the game, I thought, well, yeah, this, like I said, I didn't play Mummy in the past. So I was like, oh, this is kind of basic and pretty boring. But yeah, now I've sort of, once I got into like the 20 hour plus, I started to see how much depth is in this game, which is, it's hard, very hard to see if you don't put in the hours. And Judge, and from what I'm saying from the complaints about the game is simply because you haven't put in the hours. It, it's just weird the way it sort of opens up and you start to see new strategies, especially, I mean, it's called Master Magic, but that is the crux of this game. This is, this is where the beauty is in the actual magic system. And you don't really see that early on because you don't have access to spells and it takes so long to research early on and stuff like that. So as a new player, it's really hard for people to see it. But yeah, like once you think, like I'd I'd speak about what I was saying earlier. I I was playing Ra Death Magic with Wraiths. See, this is a, 
I'm going to actually say something bad about this game now because I don't like balance in games. I love imbalanced stuff. The problem with Master of Magic is because it's an old game, all these broken strats are out there. So I found this broken strat and I thought, oh, I'll try this out. So basically what you do is rush to summon wraiths, which they're quite, I think they're about 260 mana to get up. You basically summon them, put uh, Black Prayer on, and you can basically almost solo all, almost everything in the world. Because they're flying and they have a range attack, all you have to do is go into a battle. If there's either any flying units or units that can attack flying units, you kill them off first. Then you hit end turn a couple of times if you've been hit and you regen health. Then you go in, attack down one unit, attack down another if your hit points are a bit low. Oh, just hit it in turn a couple of times. Health goes back up. <laughs> I literally won a whole game like that. Now, I feel they... Obviously, Castle Magic has changed these sort of things. I think Flying Ships was one of the really broken ones I remember you telling me about. Flying so, Invisible Warships, yeah. Yeah, so, right. So you, unless you've got flying units that can... Sorry, unless you've got units that can attack things that are flying and also can see invisible, you were... It, you couldn't fight them <laughs> so it was just completely broken unless you had some counter to it yeah so i think i want them to keep the imbalance stuff in but it would be much more fun if i could find these things out for myself sure i don't have to use this strat or whatever but it, <laughs> you have to use quite a lot of self-restraint i find playing this game not to just use all the broken strats that have been discovered over the last 30 years that's why i think they i can't see why they can't put caster magic on and it you know how in the dlc you can turn on the dlc in the top corner you could just have a button in the top corner where you turn on either like caster magic or muha's special version or whatever i obviously have a better name than that but i think they they could do it the base game in this game is great master of magic is a great base to build on but I, th I really want them to be able to turn this game into something of their own and something where we as players can discover new strategies rather than relying on strategies that were discovered 20 years ago or something like that. And if you're one of these city purists who only wants to play exactly like the original game, well, you can just switch that off. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. And I think, look, I, I do believe that modders will um, will get involved and actually uh, tweak those sorts of settings if they can do that. Uh, there's a few points I wanted to just go back to. Um, I wanted to disagree with Ben, of course. <laughs> but uh, just to that's sort of... not care. like you, does to disagree with me about stuff. <laughs> uh, but I'll, before I do that, I'll, just to just to address what Drexy's just sort of saying there, one thing I've been really taken by in the game, and, and Drexy, you, you, I agree 100% with you. I just disagree completely with Ben. <laughs> no, it's sort of, it's funny because um, you, you are right. You do need to... You need to get into the game before it really starts to hit its strides. Like I find that you know, as you close into turn 100 is where you start to see the AI start to sort of become a lot more difficult to play in whatever game you're actually playing with it. And uh, the point being, even in this latest DLC, like I had a, a flying stack of, of uh, you know, fairly high tier units uh, that were just going around destroying cities uh, against one of the AI players and the AI player designed an army to take my flying stack down and they did and I thought that was brilliant like you know the fact that they actually not just 
It seemed that that was what they were doing anyway. They actually sort of they decked it out uh, with a whole lot of halfling slingers and just a, a few units to sort of help protect the halfling slingers. And yeah, just I had no I had no answer. I, I like seeing that in this game. So even if there is an exploit, I, I like I think the AI is so much better than what it was in the original game. Like the way it actually plays. So. I do think if there's things that are too unbalanced, and I agree with Drexy again about liking liking games that are unbalanced, if it's too unbalanced, I think that that can be addressed either through patching or through modding. Going back to uh, Ben's point about the game being a difficult game, the original game was difficult, but not this one. And the reason that this one, I don't believe that this one is difficult, is because you've got the assistant, like the, the familiar gives you guidance when you go into every single battle. It gives you very, very good odds, and they tend to be very, very accurate as well. Caster of Magic actually had like a, a setting you could turn on so that you could actually have the familiar give you that guidance. In, in the new Master of Magic, it's there by default. So like uh, what you're saying about Lucid Tactics, sort of saying that the game is too hard, it's too hard because if you don't know the different forces, you can't make that evaluation for yourself in the original game. You don't need to in this new game. And so that's actually something that it makes the battles, you, you pick and choose your battles and you're going in with your eyes wide, wide open, whereas in the original game, you had to test that every single, like when you, when you were learning the game, you had to spend hours or days basically uh, learning what each unit was good at, what they weren't good at. And the only way to learn that was in battle and not so in this game. I, I really do think that that's why I'm disagreeing with what you were saying, Ben. But, but yeah, it's, for me, it's, an actually, it's a much, much easier game to get into than the original game. I, no, I agree with you there. It is an easier game to get into without a doubt. I didn't even know, by the way, that you, could, you had some... Uh, that the advisor or the familiar actually gave you battle odds. I've not even got that switched on. I've never seen it. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, I didn't know that that was a thing. <laughs> I, I, I basically bumped the game difficulty straight up when I played uh, on Muhar's version. So I, I probably should seen and... it without it. Actually, I thought I thought it was on. I thought I didn't think you could turn it off. No, but he, I think Daz means when you click on a unit to attack it, you know whether you can say send familiar or do manually or retreat oh i'm sorry I, f I do know exactly what you're talking about now yeah i, f I follow you yeah yeah no you're quite right that does make things that does make things a lot easier because you can kind of you didn't get that in the original game that's true so you were kind of going in blind unless you really knew the game mechanics that's an interesting point because it kind of throws up that i think games that are difficult because they require you to become you know to get a degree in the game mechanics aren't always that you know that much fun like everybody loves like the pathfinder you know the pathfinder games like pathfinder kingmaker and wrath of the uh, rush of the righteous and all that the, those games can be difficult but only if you don't know the game mechanics but the problem is there's so many damn game mechanics and you have to learn the dungeons and dragons or the pathfinder rule set inside out to be any good at it and it just makes it's it's just such a chore and so that's the kind of that sort of difficulty isn't particularly clever it's just it's just like annoying because you just have to learn everything and i think the original master of magic was a bit like that um the, the good thing is we're in the original master of magic the game the game ai was so broken that it never really did much to kind of challenge you caster of magic really threw a curveball there because he fixed the ai up and then suddenly the ai is actually throwing you know flying invisible warships at you and well, if you don't know how to deal with that, then it's game over. But it's very heartening to hear that Daz is finding that the AI is quite good. I also thought the AI was quite good in Muhar's version. But, you know, it, like in the, I don't know if you played the original 1.41, so 1 um, even with the community patches, it's still not really that good. It's, you know, the AI doesn't really, it doesn't really have much of a response for the stuff that you do. Quite often, it doesn't really do much. 
Like people loved it anyway because it's a nice sandbox game playing like that. But I just went straight for caster because I like to be challenged, and I didn't think the original was much of a challenge. One question to you guys: um, I haven't really had a chance to play the DLC much. I just had a, a quick look at it, but um, the original game. Why was there only one Mirren race? And now, obviously, this DLC's added a whole bunch more. Uh, was there a balance reason for that? I mean, no, there's loads. No, there's there was six. There was five or six Mirren races. So oh, right. No, no, so there was, was there were Mirren races, but there was only only one Mirren wizard. Sorry, yeah, wizard. Yeah, but I you mean, could not... you could take mirror. You could take the mirror retort for one of your spellbook picks, or it might be two spellbook picks. I can't remember how many, but you could give that if, if you make a custom wizard, then you could give that to anybody. And there were five races. You tended not to, though. If you went Mirren, you sort of almost could guarantee that you were there on your own. Whereas now, by having five Mirren uh, wizards out of a total of what, 14 or 15 now, or however many there actually are, it should be even more than that. But it's a, yeah. it's about a third of the wizards are now Mirren, which means that you, you know, there's a good chance that you're not going to be alone on that plane, which I think is really, on, really interesting. Does it work out like that, though? Because the original game was hard-coded so that there was... I don't even remember in 1.41... I think on the higher difficulty settings, the game was allowed to use custom mages, but I think that it might have been that you, if you started on mirror, you only got a maximum of one and you know guy on mirror. I'm, I've got to be honest with you; I feel like I'm talking up my bottom here because I just don't remember. So, um, but I know that at least cast. I know Caster Magic quite well, and Cerevi changed it so that there's options in Caster Magic for Windows for how many w- w- wizards you want on mirror now. So, whereas I think in the original game it, you were limited to either just yourself or two, whereas now you can you can change the proportions of what wizards start on on the Arcanus plane and which ones start on mirror. So that was one of the big changes that. Caster of Magic for Windows brought in. Right, but I'm, I think, well, again, I've not played a whole lot as much as you guys, but from what I've seen from the games I've played, before the DLC, there was always only one Mirren race, and I even played as a Mirren race once, and I was the only guy in there. And obviously the DLC changes that. Is that correct? I think that Mirror was supposed to be... It, it was a way of getting the AI to kind of get strong. So if you were pl- playing on Arcanus and you, you might have, you know, let's say you, you've got five wizards all, all in all, you might have three opponents on Arcanus, but then you've got Sisra or whatever he's called and, or whoever it was that was down there if you're playing with custom mages. And they would get really strong because Mirror is designed so that it's hard to, to take over because all the areas, like all the mana nodes and all the dungeons are way stronger. They've got way more powerful stuff in them. However, so it's a slow start but you you are mostly unimpeded down there so once you do get going it's paced so that by the time you've just about taken all the other guys out on on arcanus then the mirror player is breaking out through the through the towers and attacking you and by that point he's incredibly strong because he's got He's got all the stuff from Mirror, and he's got all these mana loads with those massive, massive numbers in them. So it was it was designed as an end game threat. That's the, that was what it was. And for the player, it didn't work out like this. By the way, it, it, uh, this is because Master of Magic was just a broken husk of a game. But if you played on on Mirror, the idea was that it was really hard for you at the start, and then you uh, that's why it gave you you know one of the Mirror races like Dark Elves or you know Trolls because they were really strong. But still, 
it was meant to be difficult at the start and then you break your way out and then you then you have to fight whoever is left upon arcana but it turned out that that was actually really easy by then because you just got through the, the you know you have not only got a stronger race because dark elves trolls beastmen and all that they're just way better than the other races uh, the other thing is that you've got you're mostly down there to yourself and I, again i can't remember whether in the original master of magic there was another wizard down there with you or not i think so but i might be wrong I don't think it was always that you were always on there on your own. That would not be fun. Hey folks, this is Ben just interluding here. So I actually checked the wiki and before versions 1.2 of Masters of Magic, the original, you if you picked Sisra, you are guaranteed to have no rivals down there. But if you didn't, then you you know you picked the mirror trait, which was three spellbook picks, then you, you had the chance of having Sisra as one of your rivals. However, Later versions of the game made it so that you could actually meet up to one more down there. So yeah, yeah, it was between one or two, which is how I think Muhar's version works. But at least in in Muhar's version, I was playing as Bianca, the dwarf, uh, dwarven one, and she was. I was down there on my own. There was no one else there. So like, I I I'm doing it as a let's play for Explominate, and the first six or seven episodes of me just doing dungeons because there's nobody down there. So it's kind of you know. It's just one of those weird things where it's the look of the draw, I think, in Muhar's version, whether you get anyone down there or not. At least I think that's how it is. I was kind of hoping that this DLC would actually fix that problem because I found the exact same thing when I played... Uh, I can't remember who I played. But, yeah, I was I was just down there on my own and, um, yeah, I just steamrolled everyone as I came out. I'm hoping they somehow hard-coded it that at least two races are always down there. I guess it's down to how many mages you put in. Yeah, it's not hard-coded because I've, I've, the game I'm playing, I'm up to, up to close to 200 turns and I'm the only one that started in, in Mirror. Is it like that every time then, does? Because I, I I've only played it once in Mirror. I don't really play on Mirror, to be honest. I don't really, you know, it's kind of a novelty for me to do that. I tend to always play on Arcana, so just, that's just how I play. Yeah, I wanted to test the Goblin faction, so uh, I've been playing on that a little bit. One thing I wish is if we could turn off the uh, Fog of War. I haven't actually looked for that. See, this is the, here's the problem, right? And Rob is dead right about this. By sticking too closely to the original game, they've inherited all the kind of issues that Master of Magic had. And a lot of people, like I've got, I've got friends who I talk to a lot who love the original game, broke, you know, warts and all, broken AI and all. They just love it. It was a really fun game for them. And, you know, and I've got to be honest, I didn't like the 1.41 style of gameplay when I first started playing Muha's game, but it's kind of grown on me. It is slower paced. It's less pressure. The AI is less intense. It doesn't, I don't think the AI uses like, you know, 11 book strategies on you or anything now. I, I don't think, I've not seen it do it anyway. Uh, whereas in Caster of Magic, it really will. But, you know, I just think that uh, it's really stuck a little bit too closely to the original game and it's inherited a lot of the original game's problems in that respect. And one of those is this just kind of weird situation, you know, with where Mirror was supposed to be this end game threat and it's kind of not. It's just it's just kind of a you win button. Yeah, that's how I I feel about it, that they need to j just start making their own game and balancing it rather than relying on the old stuff because I, I was hoping that, yeah, with the more Mirror races, you'd have a couple down there. We can all agree that it's a very good game at the moment. It's not perfect. And there's definitely a nice base there for them to build on. And we just hope they will continue building onto it. 
Yeah, I just want to say I agree. Uh, I think that they've got the base game now. You can All the new stuff that they've added, you can deactivate with a button click, by the way. So for anyone who wants to play close to the original, you can just do that. So now it's the time for them just to keep banging out new content and just make it into something new. What do you reckon, Daz? Does that sound fair? Yeah, I agree 100%, Ben. <laughs> 100%. Oh, don't bring a hang <laughs> of a lifetime. <laughs> oh, God. Why? <laughs> yeah, let's move on to Distant Worlds 2. Um, Daz, you've been playing the, the hell out of this game, haven't you? So I, I'd like to, I will turn to you first and then Drexy, and you guys can let me know what you think of the game. Because I've been playing it on and off since I've been doing the beta testing. You know, So I've been playing it kind of as long as Daz has, but Daz plays it really regular. While Drexy has kind of come back to it recently with a new set of eyes after playing the new updates. So it, I think it's going to be really interesting to contrast you two because Daz has been playing it very thoroughly, you know, right from the start, whereas Drexy kind of played it a bit and then came back to it later. So can we hear from Daz first and then go to Drexy? Yeah, okay. So uh, the Aurora update, which has just, just come out, is uh, something that has basically sort of, I guess, packaged all the beta testing for the, probably the last few months, I guess. I sort of get a bit confused as to where the last lot of uh, beta testing was, uh, where it cut off from the the last public update to where it currently is. But Same. I found that like just in, in over the recent three, say three months again just the the they've really started to focus on the quality of life additions with the game itself it doesn't go far enough yet like there's a lot of things that i wish was in the game but god it's so so fun to play what they have done they've done incredibly well yeah so i've noticed that just a steady increase in the quality of the game as well like since i wasn't able to play it for ages just had such bad performance with the game it was just one of those unfortunate few people that just didn't seem to be able you know none of the fixes were working i still get really bad frame rate drops in the re, in the technology tree screen it just drops to like you know three frames a second for some reason i don't know what that is uh, i don't know if it's just something to do with my particular computer but other than that the game is just it's a joy to play it's just gone from being you know fun but kind of painful in places to now all these little quality of life upgrades that they've brought have just made the game way more fun to play in in you know again it's kind of like the like the differences between conquest of elysium 4 and conquest of elysium 5 where it's just lots of little changes that that you know are kind of greater than some of their parts when it comes to how the game actually feels to play now at least that's my opinion I'm probably a lot different than you guys. I played maybe 20, maybe 30 hours max. I think maybe, yeah, 20 to 30 hours on release. And I was just so disappointed. Um, it, yeah, it was just so broken. Funny enough, I never got the uh, low frame per second in the research screen, but everything else was low frames per second. But anyway, so I put the game down. So I probably haven't played since last april i would say so it's almost a year i haven't played so yeah about a week week and a half ago i was at i yeah when the aurora came out basically i might have played a little bit before that but anyway i played a couple i had a few games that i've sort of restarted i'm actually up to 70 hours now in the past week so from going from 20 to 30 so yeah maybe about 40 hours i've played and the majority of it has been one game and i've been having absolutely time of my life playing this game <laughs> what, what faction are you playing sorry uh, Drexy? at darren's at the moment playing at darren's at the moment yeah i'm just i'm so happy with a lot of the changes that they've made and it's still not there i'm not i'm trying not to gush too much right <laughs> but it's getting i'm starting to get that feeling i was getting from distant worlds the original distant worlds 
and I've just had so such amazing stuff happen in the game in that my current game that's just like totally wowed me really. <laughs> so sorry, what what specifically are you um, are you finding? Of number one, just a lot of um, quality of life changes, like the way the fleets are now, where you can actually tell it to build a specific type of frigate. Because I like to build like the same class of ship, but have them play different roles. So this is a po- uh, possibility with the fleet manager now, which wasn't at the release. Um, yeah, that's same, a game changer. Yeah, same with the uh, they've got like in the Aurora update, they've got the where you can select the upgrade path in the design screen of what your uh, ship's going to think. It doesn't always do it perfectly. I still kind of change my thing to manual, but that's another thing. But, yeah, it's just that I'll speak about it later, but I had some – the AI do some quite amazing things to me in a war. Certainly with the way that the fleets can now be, can now be sort of personalised, it still doesn't go far enough for me. I think it's 80% there with the way that you can now sort of have like the different designs uh, that sort of look after themselves over the, you know, b- within the same role. So it, it, just to put that into perspective, a role is uh, like escorts or frigates. And then what I would love to see is if you could actually have it like a named class and then have it with a class. So you can have the same, like if you have like, for example, a heavy escort and you want to have two different heavy escort designs because they have to do different things. Like one may be a, a standoff with, uh, with, you know, with sort of missiles and one may be a, a short range with rail guns. You can't do that at the moment because you have to then sort of designate, okay, well, I'll put the, uh, I'll put the heavy escort in for the standoff and I'll have to use the fleet escort or the patrol escort for the rail guns type sort of thing. So you end up, uh, it's still not as can good you as not, it could I'm be. sure you can still do that, right? Because in the fleet manager, you can can select the ship na- by ship name, not like by role, by the actual ship name. So if you name them differently, you, you can, can actually it, yeah. put uh, two different uh, escorts of the same chassis or whatever it is. I think what Daz is asking for is the ability to just name your own roles rather than yeah, just the whole yeah. types. Uh, because because it's yeah, you're right, Drexy, you can do that. And I this is a, such a game changer. This is one of the big problems that I had with the game and they fixed it. And it's that, you know, now that you can have multiple types of one hull, if I'm understanding Daz right, what he wants to be able to do is to create his own type of, yeah, okay, this is a, you know, the Daz Destroyer, and this is a particular hull type. Is that what you mean? Or like a roll type? And that roll then can be, it's, it's easier to kind of see that that has been designed for a specific purpose. At the moment, my understanding is that you can actually put in the designated uh, named ship, but then you can't actually retrofit them up within the same name. They retrofit within the same role. So I'll say hull or roll. So you can actually have a hull type which is like your your heavy escorts or your patrol frigates, something like that. So you can you can actually retrofit within that easily enough, but you can't actually name like you can't have like two different patrol escorts designs and have them both retrofit into their own different uh, um, classes. I could be I could be wrong, but in the in the um, the ship editor screen. There, there is an option in the Aurora update, at least, where you can drop down menu and select the actual name of the ship you just named it, rather than <clears throat> of that class. You can actually like say, say, well, I've got in one of mine, um, say it's called Missile Frigate One. If you if you select that in the drop down menu in the editor screen, when that gets upgraded 
to a missile frigate two, then it will upgrade to the when you make the missile frigate two. If you upgrade from missile frigate one, it will upgrade missile all the missile frigate ones to missile frigate twos. I could be wrong, but that's how I thought it worked. Maybe I'm wrong actually because I I was looking for exactly that. And uh, I could see that I could actually designate by the role, like you know, the biggest hull within the role, or the big, or the same hull, or I could go to actual named ships to have them retrofit across to named ships. But I couldn't. Yeah, you can. I'm just checking it now, and you can. Just you can you can upgrade for latest design for the hull, latest design for the role, latest design for the largest hull for the role, and then you can you can upgrade it to individual named ships. Um, so if you've got like four different types of frigates it will list all four different frigates that you can upgrade to including the one that you oh no not sorry. In, not in, uh, yes including not in, the it one doesn't, it doesn't actually then uh, go uh, my understanding and i may be wrong i just assumed it didn't but i don't think you can actually have like if you i don't think you can choose the same i may be wrong about this but i don't think you can choose the same name I think you're right, actually. Yeah, I'm looking now. So I've got one called Harpoon, and it's saying latest design for the hull, Harpoon V9. Well, that's this one because this is the latest design for the hull. Same with the roll. But then I've got three others um, named ships, but it doesn't let you upgrade to, you know, just set it so, no, it's just, I just want the Harpoon. So, yeah, I think you're right, actually, Daz. I think it's there's, there might be something yeah, missing it's, there. It's, it's 80% um, there, in, in my opinion. But um, but but yeah, I'm, I'm, now I'm going to have to go and test that as well because from what Drexy was <laughs> saying, he thought that if you then retrofitted or or redesigned a ship that you told it to go and follow that name, that it will actually then go and still retrofit to the new name. And if that's the case, then that's a hundred percent for me. It, right, right. This here, this brings up one of the issues with distant worlds game design, and it's just bloody obtuse. And there's multiple ways to do things. And one of the best critiques I've heard of distant worlds is that. Nobody seems to be able to explain how anything works in a couple of sentences, you know, and that's that's dead true as well. It's really hard to explain actually what's going on in distant worlds, and there's certain things that you know nobody can figure out, like like how does the uh, how does tourism uh, how does tourism actually work? <laughs> does do fl- sh- ships fly out and then they get money for each t- like ship that comes back, or is it the bases just generate a flat rate? I think I think actually that is just when the the ships load up with tourists, they fly to wherever it is. You get money when they arrive, and then they kill all the tourists. <laughs> is my understanding. Yeah, guys, sorry, sorry to jump in. I've just looked at it. I took my missile destroyer one. I did upgrade. It made the missile destroyer two. Now I've selected one of my missile destroyer ones. When I hover over the ret- retrofit, it says retrofit to missile destroyer two. Oh, okay. Whether it does that in the fleet, well, obviously in the fleet, you can just change it to Missile Destroyer 2. Here's the other question, right, though. Do, like, I was having a bit of an argument with a guy on Explorminate, one of the community members, and he was saying that he, he he's, he's a UI guy, and he was saying he really doesn't like the, how, the way that the fleet templates kind of conflict with the, he was saying, like, am I understanding him right? I can't remember what his exact problem was, but it was something to do with whenever he was setting something to upgrade, it was resetting in the fleet in the fleet design template or the fleet edit fleet template. So he not only was he having to go and change the the design in the model, you know, in the model design for the ship or the ship designer, but then he was then afterwards having to go back and edit it in the in the fleet template. And I was like, no, 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 that's not how you do it. You do it in the fleet template first. It's just, that's that's the way that you, that's the order of operations. You you set it in the fleet template 
and then and then edit any kind of any changes that you want to make say for example if you want you've got a line of ships that you eventually want to kind of just move you just want to kind of like get rid of them all and, and push that into something else that's where you use the model you know in the ship designer there is a setting if you go by the defaults the default for the game is that the ai will look after fleet management and you've got to make that manual yeah, 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 sure. And but I think his his issue was more that there's a conflict here, and the the thing is, it's you've got two different parts of the game UI that are doing the same thing, and that is that it's the ship designer. It's got an upgrade path setting, but also the fleet designer has two. Yeah, I I did have an issue where when I left it to the AI to upgrade the ships, it didn't actually upgrade to the right one, so I've had to do it manually myself which is an issue. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like you don't always know, especially with a game that has had bugs like this, you don't know whether it's working as intended or whether there's a bug. I haven't had a bug. I'm <laughs> so, pretty sure that'll be an automation setting in the policies will actually be the problem. And um, uh, I think that if, if you change the policies to make sure that you're managing, the, there's three buttons you've got to make manual, and then you've got full control of the fleets. And at that point, you can then use the automation, the fleet automation template and you've kept no worries at all. Yeah, but this is the problem. It's because they've been doing so much stuff at once, it's almost like there's a, a disconnect between the game and the UI. And it's kind of reminds me of Distant Worlds 1, to be honest. They, uh, they really need to go back <laughs> and look over these things and just make sure it's quite clear to the user what exactly is happening there's a few other things which i'll discuss later where there's still some stuff missing that i would love to be in there that's just not there which makes it a bit confusing just to go follow on to drexy's comment i agree 100 that it should actually stop the automation when you do something manual rather than having to go and stop it manually yeah. and then go and change it that's something that I sort of have. I agree with Drexy about that. It, for new players, they don't know that. Like, like for example, if you design a a ship, if you change a design on a ship, it should automatically make the retrofit, like like upgrading aspect of it, manual, not and not keep it on automatic. It just it, that's that's one area of the game that it just needs a little bit of tweaking. It should be fairly easy to do. I would have thought. I think that this is the thing with a game this complex. Some people are going to want the... Do you remember there's an issue where if you control a... Let's say you've got an automated ship um, and it's running out of fuel, so you manually order it to go and pick up fuel. Well, then it just... Now now it's switched to manual and you forget about it because it doesn't automatically switch back. They've changed that recently. So I know that Code Force are listening and they are fixing certain things, like certain pain points that people are having with the game. Uh, I'm, and now, man, I hope that change is actually not part of the, be- the closed beta, but I think it, I think that has been pushed through to the main game now. So like if you were, yeah, I, I get real problems with ship refueling still. That's one of the real bugbears of this game. Like, I don't know what it is, but sometimes ships, like one ship will just be lagging and so the whole fleet is lagging behind. Sometimes it'll be because you've just not got enough Kazlon. That's my fault. But other times it just, I don't know, I just can't always tell whether it's a bug, it's a feature, it's just me being bad at the game because there's so many possibilities of what's going on and the game doesn't always communicate to you exactly what's happening. I don't know if I want another pop-up coming up saying, hey, your ship's not got fuel. I, I think that might be annoying. I think it just goes to show you how damn complex this game, and I think they've done a quite a good job actually of managing it all so far. I think that I think the UI is way better than Distant Worlds Universe, and you know the, the information is presented pretty well. It's a nice, it's a nice looking and feeling UI. It feels different to all the other sort of generic space 
4x uis that we get it's it's got these nice drop down menus in it and it looks cool it feels like i know a lot i annoy people when i talk about this because I, I think most people don't care about how a ui kind of plays but i really like having an immersive ui and i really feel like the one in distant worlds is it's just really cool there's no there's no menu diving in it really it's all kind of in one place one of my big issues is say if you wanted to scrap a whole fleet you actually can't you have to go to each individual ship and tell it to go and uh uh, scrap itself. It's not scrap, is it? It's something else called retired. Yes, that's it. Yeah, you're right. It's uh, that is annoying. There's there's some other stuff as well. Like when you when you when you come across a ship graveyard, you know, and you've got these kind of derelict ships, and there might be 15 ships in the, or you know, maybe maybe eight ships in this ship graveyard. Not only does it give you eight different pop ups, but then you've got to select all of them individually. Uh, you know the, whether you want to search it or not and then when the ships have all been built then it goes oh do you want to explore the ship and you've got to do that eight times again now imagine like on a game i just had where i got two or three of these in a row um i had it just stopped my gameplay for about three maybe three minutes or four minutes where i just had to click to this end like seemingly endless queue and that was where i i, I, I the, the immersion was gone the fun was gone from the game. And I was just like, God, this it's really annoying. Like Code Force, you've got to do something about this. This is the worst problem with the game right now. <laughs> I was gonna say, really? <laughs> <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> That's the main part of the game where I where I where I stopped but having fun. Ship graveyards. Like, like I can deal with <laughs> just stuff like that where I've got to click on about I've got to click on maybe 50 or 60 messages in a row you can't you can't skip them for that ship you can't turn them off up and then another one pops up and you click investigate and then another window pops up it was worse it was worse when when you'd be you'd be building it and then somebody else would be sitting next to your ship and then they'd be the one that would claim it that used to happen all the time Yeah, but like, but apart from that, that's that's the one issue where I really just want to turn the game off and not play anymore because that really bugged me. But everything else in uh, in Distant Worlds Two at the moment is brilliant. The AI is really good, and I'm I think Drexy's got some stories for us about that, and I'm, I want to hear some from Daz too. So the AI just it. I mean, in my current game, very quick anecdote. I was starting in the as the Mortalin and the Outer Rim, and I was basically unimpeded, so I had this massive empire. But because of the feudal system. Every now and again, I get this kind of coup that happens. So some of the colonies that are taken by force, you know, like these independent colonies, they were rebelling. So I just found like about like quite a long way into the game, maybe 100 years into the game or maybe 80 years, something like that, you know, 80 years into the game, I'd finally found some neighbors to go in and conquer. And uh, I'd got into a war, won my first war, and I was just kind of consolidating my gains. And then all of a sudden, all these, all these rebellions start happening. Now, normally in a game, that's really frustrating for me, but I could see a path to how I could deal with this, you know? And, I, and it was my fault because I knew that you have to plan. If you're playing feudal system, uh, you know, the feudal government system, you get massive bonuses to warfare stuff. And it's almost broken, like the, the way that you can just keep going in wars and you can you can declare war on people and your people aren't even bothered about it. Whereas the enemy will be desperate to peace out because they're getting war weariness, even with that modifier that they get for, you know, for for an unwarranted war to be declared on them. But the downside is you've got to deal with these regime changes that happen pretty much on the dot every 20 years, and you've got to plan for it. And that it just makes the game so interesting. This is like, this has taken Distant Worlds too. It's such a small change, by the way, and this is what I mean. It's such a small change to the faction asymmetry with the different government types and the different factions with the little bonuses and the, the you know some of the other stuff that they're bringing in but it, the the actual gameplay change the size of the 
the change in the gameplay is really, really, really good. Well, yeah, I can add on to that because because I've I've been playing on the I was on the outer rim as well, but I've got what one, two, and then a three, and then maybe a fourth on the other side, but he can't really get to me. So I've I've actually had neighbours uh, pretty early. I think you always sort of get one of your own race pretty close to you. Yeah, but I'll, I'll tell I'll tell my story, my my current game. I was having a war with the Harkonish. Well, there's two actual Harkonish factions and they were sort of um one would go to war with me and then end the war then the other one will go to war with me so anyway i was having a war with the largest one i took one of his planets i said yeah i've got him now and then suddenly see because originally he was attacking these two colonies but i ended up having them quite very well defended and suddenly he's jumped over these two colonies and gone for one of my uh, colonies that was way in the back with this a 15k uh, troop fleet and just dropped it on my planet. I was like, oh no. And I was just like, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> I've never seen an AI sort of make that decision to sort of take this weird route around and attack one of my back colonies. It was amazing. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty amazing, actually, the uh, the way it does actually work. It's a lot of fun to play. And, like, when you are playing, you've, you've really got to – like, it's it's funny because the game itself doesn't actually – like, you've got to try to get knowledge and uh, you've got to try to find out where things actually are, where the fleets are. Uh, and you don't know in the early part of the game for quite some time until you've got long-range scanners. You just don't know well, where they yeah, are. yeah, the problem was I didn't realise because I took a couple of these planets in an earlier war – he still had fueling stations in my space. So he was running ships to the fueling stations in my space. And I didn't have anything close to this uh, this system. So I didn't really see him sneak in and then go around and start attacking stuff in the back. And I haven't got long-range scanners at the moment. So, yeah, <laughs> he's just sneaked him in. I've actually found a fueling station a bit later and realised how he did it. <laughs> One thing I always try to do, often if I go to war with somebody, the objective for me will be to just secure one fueling station for the first war in his, inside their space and then protect it, like then make peace, basically. I'll still attack it usually if they're an aggressive faction. So you've, still got to, you've then got to keep a fleet in there, which just pisses them off. But then after you've got that, you can then start to sort of expand in a bit deeper. So I try to, in a lot of games, I, I tend to target the Kazan supply of the enemy because if you can actually knock all that out and control it and build them all yourself, if that's the objective, rather than, rather than going for planets, you can actually just go for... Um, for like an economic, you know, stifle them and, and strangle them. What happened was when I saw this fleet rushing towards my planet, I, I sort of went to diplomacy and I've said, uh, let's end war. And I think I had to end up giving about 40K to finish this war. And he finished the war, but as soon as it happened, because I took this planet, which I wish I never took this planet now, this planet was like minus 40K. It was costing me to keep it. Plus, I just gave him 40K. So my economy was just absolutely ruined after that. <laughs> and this this is the kind of thing you have to consider. Is taking this planet worth it, really? Because a lot of the times, it, it can actually just ruin your economy. So sometimes it's better, like, it's probably better to do what you do and just take all their Caslon stations instead of taking their planets. 
because yeah, then they have to pay you. They have to actually end up paying you to get uh, fuel. <laughs> yeah, they've got to buy all the fuel off you. I, I learned that trick off you, Daz, actually, <laughs> when you were telling, talking about that. I was like, that's a really sneaky tactic. That's a, a sneaky Daz tactic. But you're dead right. It's so amazing now that you, how many Forex games do you know where you really have to kind of consider too hard whether you've got to take somewhere or not? If you, like, oh, you might have a game where you, you're not sure if you can defend it, but in distant worlds, you can't expand too quick. Once you've taken a couple of planets, unless you've got some crazy economy, you've got to, you've got to piece out usually and, and consolidate those gains. And if you do try to, you know, map paint too fast, you're going to pay for it in some way. So yeah, I, th- I think that it's, it's really turning into a solid Forex game, man. Yeah, one thing you mentioned, which is I've been doing as well, is actually not playing on four times speed. Sometimes I go to two times max, but it, it's this game actually feels really good. After the early game, just playing on normal speed, it's yeah, it's it's so much better. Yeah, it's a real mistake to play on full speed. Yeah, Absolutely. I agree. I agree, hundred percent. It's it's so immersive when you don't, and you miss yeah, exactly. so much when you do. Yeah, yeah. It does create different stories each time. And one thing I'm actually really looking forward to is that they're now going to, if you play on hard mode or above, they've now put it in that there's going to be a, like one of your natural enemies will be close to you at the start. So that's always going to then mean that in one sense it'll get rid of the imbalance a little bit because sometimes you're going to have some very easy games, but at least now you know that you'll have a challenge each time. Yeah, that's great. And to be honest, Distant Worlds 2 can be really difficult. I mean, when um, I don't know if the difficulty's changed a huge amount in the last year, but even early on, not long after the game was released, I was trying to make the game really difficult for myself and playing with... Do you remember when I was trying some of these crazy settings where I'd set you know my neighbours yeah, to be really, really close and strong? screenshot of what, what settings you were Yeah, uh, man, I, I've never been able to win a game like that. It's just really hard. It's really, really difficult because they just get such an economic advantage and the AI is quite good at exploiting, you know, it will get what it wants from you. So, you know, if, if you are smaller than it and they are a, even a reasonably warlike faction, they will just go to war with you and wipe you out. <laughs> I want to hear a, an anecdote from Daz about some cool stuff that's happened in Distant Worlds too, because both Drexy and me have told a story. So it's Daz's time. Oh, wow. Okay. So I was trying to think of, <laughs> I play it a lot and certain things happen. I guess that the most enjoyment I do get is by trying to have a contained home area so not sort of too expansive at the start and then wage economic war when i do go to war and i do like playing as the Arctarians, the aquatics they're my favorite faction i love to sort of really uh, finesse the uh, i can really sort of go as hard as i can into the tech for the fighters the star fighters so that they can actually sort of then start to dominate because once you get like a a really strong carrier fleet for the Arctarians they are really hard for the AI to contend with. The AI has to invest, and they, the AI doesn't do it, actually, so it is a bit of an exploit. You can actually just go full full on into Starfighters for the Actarians, and the AI doesn't know that they've got to put um, point defense on them because they don't do it. They can't match your numbers uh, and quality of the Starfighters. And so in one sense, once you actually get to that point, you can literally just put a carrier somewhere and the AI really can't contend, which is why you can then wage economic war and uh, start to dominate and then finally sort of take over the planets. And I think with the coming changes as well, like, I mean, one of the things with planets, you've really got to make sure that you spend enough time on those planets to assimilate them. If you don't assimilate them, then um, they do cost you an enormous amount of money and it can take a hell of a long time to assimilate. For example, you know, some of the, some of the factions are really, really difficult so it can take like you know decades and decades before they'll actually come to your side. 
So I am looking forward to the coming changes in the game, like with the, with the new DLC, because there will be changes to the slavery mechanic. That's one thing that I haven't liked so far in the game. I haven't played with slavery for quite some time, but in Disney Universe, it was quite viable to uh, use, you could enslave a population and it would it didn't matter about the assimilation aspect of it. It would actually just generate money for you. And that's hasn't been the case so far. So I'm hoping that that, that does get changed. Uh, yeah. Are we allowed to talk about that? I guess probably not because it might still be under the NDA. But yeah, that has changed. <laughs> it's definitely changed. Like, um, does have you actually played with the DAO yet? Uh, only very, very basically. I've, I've, um, I'm just now starting to sort of get used to it. I, I decided not to play it much like with, with the new content because I did want to keep on recording content up until up until basically now. So I've only really just switched across now into the into the closed beta, and so I'm sort of now just starting to play with the new factions and sort of see how things work. But I haven't. There's a lot of mechanics that I haven't actually had a good look at yet. We should also talk about the DLC that's coming up. Uh, it has been announced now that we've got the Dayut and the Ikuro. Uh, the Dayut are a sp- spider race that kind of are an espionage-based faction. They they don't really have many friends, and they are they're very much based on slavery. And their victory conditions are kind of like just to enslave as many popular, you know, as many different races as possible. And the Ikuro are a kind of like. They're supposed to be kind of like a peaceful primate race, I guess. They're sort of an ecology-based sort of faction, but they've also got... They're actually quite powerful in ground combat too, uh, so they've got some kind of tricks up their sleeve. Um, so I didn't really play either of these two factions very much in Distant Worlds Universe, but I think people will be excited for them. Yeah, I was surp- I was actually very surprised at how many people were excited about the Ikaru because that, that was a faction that I never, ever played in Distant Worlds Universe. It was too peaceful. Just from comments that people have made, it's actually one that they're very, very looking forward to, uh, which is interesting because it, it just shows the, I guess, the diversity of players and, and what people actually like in the game itself. I used to play a lot of the Dayorts because I did I do like the aggressive races and I always liked playing as them. They were they were a fun. They were probably my favourite faction in Distant Worlds Universe to a degree. I certainly remember playing them a lot and enjoying playing them. So I'm really looking forward to uh, really getting my teeth into them. I I just want new races. I think this was one of the biggest uh, things that kind of bothered me when the game was released when I saw how few races there were compared to like Distant Worlds Universe. So. Especially now I'm, I'm more into playing games slowly. I think both of the factions are really exciting to me. Yeah, but yeah, please bring on more races. This is what I want. Um, I do We're getting four in. this year. We're yeah. getting four. Yeah, four, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. So there's going to be another DLC at the end of the year. And I think they've already announced that it's going to be, is it the Quamino and Daz, do you remember? I can't remember the other one, but yeah, Quamino is another good, good, good faction, like another aquatic. Yeah. And then an expansion as well. Did they not say another DLC? At the end? Uh, yes, there's yeah. going to be another content expansion. Oh, so, no, it's got, it's got exciting times ahead. Yeah, three DLCs this year, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think so. One of them, like I'm assuming, they didn't say what it was, but I'm assuming that the uh, the expansion will be Pirates. I think so too. Yeah, they uh, did yeah. that with Distant Worlds 1. I guess the only thing that's different, like, and Drexie, you've, you've uh, touched on it here, Distant Worlds 1 released with, the, you know, basically with the factions in place. And uh, we we only got like the seven starting ones for Distant Worlds two, and so it is one of those things where you you are really really wanting more diversity in the in the actual galaxies that have been created. So I'm really looking forward to getting the new factions as well. I think one of the biggest things I want to discuss made me realise how Stellaris works is wrong for a real time strategy 
just the fun. Have you guys turned on the um, option where you can use the right click to box select ships? Yes, but I don't really use it. Yeah, there's a new uh, option where you can, well, I don't know if it's new, but I can't remember it being there released. No, it has been in since game start. Yeah, it, it that came in early. I just do the, I just press control and then uh, marquee select that way. Oh, uh, you can do that as well. Well, there is an option to just have it on all the time. So what I've been doing is in my fleet battles is if I've got like twenty four ships or whatever, and then there's a, a small group of enemy ships closer to one side of my ships, you know, I can just select five ships and say, yeah, use five, deal with that, whilst the rest of the fleet sort of carries on attacking the main fleet and this is just something it's impossible they try and change the combat system in stellaris but it, it just doesn't match this the other thing in the um build and the ship design option you can select three different things you can select core close close yeah uh, and pick it and then pick it yep. so what i did win my in my fleet because i was up against another a faction that was heavy in missiles well, I had my I had my destroyers in the core and my frigates close around it. Then I had escorts. I actually used escorts around the outside with mostly PD on. Just to, I do that. Yeah, and it's just so amazing how how you can build your fleet like that. Is which is something you cannot do in something like Stellaris. You can no, say it's, it's very very nuanced, isn't it? Really, you yeah. can do so much. And the other thing was uh, with missile ships. If you set them all to cautious, both of their attack styles to cautious, instead of rushing in, they will move to the max range of their missiles. And as the ships approach, enemy ships approach them, they will turn and try and keep that distance. It's just this game, ah, oh, it's not perfect, right? Stop gushing. <laughs> but it's well on its way to surpassing Distant Worlds 1, in my opinion. It's, it's, it's so, I'm so, someone who took a, basically a year off of playing this game, so excited to see what they've done in the past year. And with all the news that's coming up with the free DLCs, yeah, I'm just so excited. I'm finally excited to play Distant Worlds 1 after the big uh, disappointing release. As Daz kept on saying, I really think they should have had this first year's early access. You know, they've turned it around. The game is actually very positive on Steam now with the recent reviews. So, yeah, I think we're on the road for having one of the best games. Yeah, I agree with you 100% there, Drex. You know, it's actually really, really interesting to hear, like, you know, from, from someone like yourself who hasn't played it since launch, who didn't like it at launch, and uh, the, the turnaround in your opinion. It's actually that, for me, is really, really interesting because um, I keep on sort of trying to convince people to come back to it. To actually hear it firsthand is, uh, is very, very interesting. Yeah, I was excited to hear that too, because I thought Drexy had kind of passed this one over. I, I think Rob's still not really convinced, but I, I don't know if he's really tried it since the, you know, since this new sort of, I think it's really been the last three months where the game's kind of really picked up. I think, sorry, I think the big problem with Rob is because he gets so many games, he can't like spend 40 hours on Master of Magic or 40 hours in a week on this world's too, like I can. So, you know, I, I think that's probably the biggest problem with rob 
he doesn't have as much time to play but he does like every now and again he'll like he'll admit that he's like just banged about 10 hours in a week into something and he's just every spare bit of time that he's had he's been playing so he does find the time i think i think with robbie he he, he kind of gets grabbed by different kind of games and he's always got that drive to find something new where um i'm kind of i'm starting to get a bit stuck in my ways <laughs> like I, I find something that i like and then i just play the hell out of it well you all know i've been pretty lost with uh 4x games for the past couple of years really nothing's really excited and it's just weird master of magic and this and wells 2 up or updates finally me dragged me back into forex games and i'm excited about forex games after all the disappointing forex games that have come out in the past couple of years yeah it's been a it's been a really really cool time hasn't it for uh, like the, in the last 12 months and uh, and with the next year coming up You've got uh, Age of Wonders 4 coming yeah, as well. Yeah, I know. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's incredible. And Dwarf Fortress as well, which isn't really a 4X, but it's, uh, you know, like that was incredible as well. That's an amazing That's game. That's close enough. Yeah, it's yeah. really good. I've, you know what? It's a, it's criminal how little I've played that since it's been released. I got my girlfriend into it, though, and I never thought that she would, like, can you, like she's a, she loves games like RimWorld and, uh, you know, but a, a game has to be reasonably well presented for her to kind of get into it. And I never, ever thought that I could ever get her playing ASCII Dwarf Fortress or even, you know, getting her to to bother, you know, like going jumping through the hoops of modding it so they had tiles. And this this presentation that they've got of Dwarf Fortress on Steam, it's just so playable. It's not perfect, but it's so damn good. And my, she was just loving it. And if, you know... If a, a sort of casual gamer can get into playing Dwarf Fortress and can be enjoying it within a few hours, that's a massive win for for Bay Twelve. They really have knocked it out of the park. Yeah, agree one hundred percent with that. It's a like it's so much better than what I thought. Anyway, we're not talking about Dwarf Fortress, are we? <laughs> yeah, let's get back to it. one thing. I did want to ask you both is what would you like to see going ahead with Distant Worlds Two? What what is the sort of um, main thing you you're missing maybe from Pirates. the game? Or- I'm going to jump in and say pirates. And I think that pirates, the way that smugglers worked in Distant Worlds Universe, particularly the the fact that you could have these different pirate missions really enabled you to play with sparser galaxies with less resources because the pirates would kind of cover your 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 losses that you had. You know, if you didn't have enough, you know, Kazalon or something, they would come and like they would, you could actually pay them to come and deliver it to you very very quickly one of the things that's still bugging me is that i can't play on a huge galaxy but with um with a small amount of stars i really love that about the first game like kind of making it so that you had to travel further to go and colonize because you had to really get clever about how you design your colony ships and stuff i really i I miss that i don't know why it's a real shame that they've taken that out of distant worlds too where they've kind of limited the amount of stars to the sector sizes now um I, i feel that's a real real thing but a real problem but Adding the pirates back in would be good because not only was the pirate gameplay really good fun, but yeah, it did. It kind of it opened up the game in ways I think some people perhaps didn't realize. With you know the fact that they were covering your for for a price, they would cover some of your resource deficiencies, and it was quite an interesting gameplay mechanic. But I guess in one sense, the independent colonies are now supposed to sort of fill, fill that role at the moment until the pirates do come. That's true. Yeah. From- for me, though, the uh, thing I really want is just so simple. I want a measuring tool. That's what, that's, uh, that would make such a difference to me in the game, uh, just a, a, a tool that tells me how far away something actually is to know what I need to then sort of uh, do to deal with it, like whether it's a, a, like if, if it may be outside my colony range, uh, whatever else it might actually be. I just wish there was a measuring tool to, to show you how far things away that everything actually is. 
That, that can't be that difficult to do, I wouldn't have thought. I mean, I don't, I don't mean to, you know, presume. Game design is often more difficult than it looks on the surface, but, I, I, you know, I would have thought that would be something they could add relatively easily. I would have thought so too. And the other thing that uh, I really wish that they would bring in would be the queued orders again from Distant Worlds 1. Those two things really wish were in the game. Yeah, so that was a, I think that was a mistake dropping those out. I'm not quite sure why they made that decision. That was one of the biggest pieces of criticism that the game had, actually, I saw on Steam. People really, really did not like the fact that you couldn't... It, it, the game seemed to move towards a heavy, or heavily automated style of play rather than being able to kind of micro... Sorry, that's not the word. Micromanage is not the right word. To manage individual ships yourself, to control directly individual ships. And it, that kind of gameplay really works well with real-time with pause. And I think that... You know, particularly for the combat, that would it would make the combat even more fun because you could kind of, you know, you could queue up complex complex maneuvers. You know, so your ships could pull off, you know, custom maneuvers rather than just relying on the automation. And the automation is way better now, by the way. It's so much better than Distant Worlds Universe was. But I want, I would like to see a return to the manual style play as well. I think, and the the queued or queued orders is crucial to that. I actually agree with both of you. I find the pirates pretty meh. Maybe you pay them off early, but, I, you know, and then you just go and destroy them. And there's not really much to them at the moment. They, they're quite bland. And, yes, killed orders as well. That's one of Even with uh, explorers, with the exploration ships, you want queued orders. But, yeah, planning your attacks because <clears throat> I like to, you know, come in at different angles and stuff. So you don't get stuck on the planet and remembering, oh, I, oh yeah, I sent this fleet here. And then suddenly you turn around and it's sort of in the middle of the space doing nothing. You think, oh, yeah, I was supposed to go back to those to tell them to attack the planet from that angle sort of thing. So say, for example, you want to take uh, a spaceport, but where you're coming in from, it's behind the planet. So I, I like to come, go past the planet a bit and then come in so I can hit that first. Uh, but yeah, that's again, a good point. Yeah, without yeah. queued orders, you've always sort of got to remember to actually do it uh, manually now, which is a bit annoying. One thing I, I know we're we're talking about stuff we want, but actually, one thing I I I do really like about Distant Worlds Two that wasn't in Distant Worlds One, which I wasn't sure about at the start when I first saw them, but the Nebulas is such a great idea. It's actually taken um, terrain, which you normally get on a terrestrial game, into a, a Space 4X game, where because you're not playing with uh, star lanes, it's sort of freeform movement. It actually adds terrain to the game. And so, you know, even if you're in the galactic center, it, it doesn't mean you can be attacked from all angles now because there's this terrain thing. Yeah, that's, that's actually pretty cool, but I just wish that they actually had like a border around them so you could see where they were on the on the, on the the XY plane. Right, uh, yes, that's right. They are quite hard to work out exactly. Can I, can I get through that little gap on that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah I agree, <laughs> actually. The, the, yeah. the spherical kind of indicator that they've got, it's, not quite, it's just not quite enough, is it? Yeah, I, I agree. I think it would be nice if you could see exactly where it was. But uh, Actually, another just, thing too, sorry, uh, talking about the borders of the nebulas, the borders of the empires. Oh, yeah. Some, sorry, someone posted a screenshot of Distant Worlds 1, I think, in our Discord the other day, and I was thinking, oh, man, why, why can't it look like that? I think they've sort of solved the problem. I've not had an issue where 
I don't know whether they've done something, but I know originally when I first played, I always seemed to get uh, empires with either the same or very similar colours to me. I think they've added more colours. I could be wrong. I've not seen that clash. No, it does happen. I, I can send you a screenshot right now of me as the mortal in his orange, and then there's another empire. I think it's Boscara or something, and they're the exactly same color. Oh, exact. It's really annoying. Have a look at Star Dynasties. The way that they do their borders is perfect for distant worlds. It is perfect. <laughs> it's sort of you know. Like I don't if, have if that you're... one actually. It's one of the few forex games I don't own at the moment. Yeah, it's a really cool game. It's a very simple game, but what they do is that they actually put a, a slight border between the borders. So there's actually a, a bit of like there's a black gap between the borders, and then they have an actual harder line around the actual borders. And then they actually what they then do is they have like a, a narrow line if it's inside your territory. So you can actually sort of you can really get a good feel for what's going to go where, and and it, it really very very clearly defines. The, uh, where the, the boundaries are, even if it's the same color, it doesn't matter because it's actually showing, you know, it's showing the divide. And so uh, the, the colors don't matter. It's just that little bit of a gap just makes such a difference. Yeah, it's, I'm just it's such at a that. simple thing. It looks really good, doesn't it? It's so simple. It's so, yeah. so simple. And they could have done that. I think that's something they could change. Uh, there's the other issue with um, territory is. One of the one of the, one of the better pieces of criticism I've seen about Distant Worlds is that uh, one of the guys in our on our Discord was saying the the issue now at the moment is it's kind of a race at the start of the game to get territory because I think it's the first person to discover a system pretty much gets the territory or like at least to put some kind of you know to to put up a base around it. No, that's that's not. It's not quite clear how how is it that territory works because I can't figure it out. I can't figure out how territory expands. Uh, is it does it tell you in the game? It, it well the way it works and it doesn't actually tell you. Actually, a lot of people get confused by this. Uh, when, once you know, you 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 don't even think about it again. Hmm. But what it is is that the um the, the it's the colonies push out a sphere of influence. And so the sphere of influence goes out from the colony at whatever distance it is to the next star. Right. And that is controlled by the development level of your colony. Ah. Yeah, so the more luxury goods you have, the bigger the population that you have, which are the two things that affect uh, development, uh, will then push the borders further and further out. That's why fully developed uh, systems that have got like a um, planet in there that's, that's fully developed – and uh, th that will have a big border, whereas a, a new one that you've only just got won't because the population's too small and you won't have enough luxury goods. But it's funny because when one's, you'll often see them flicking back and forwards, and that will often correlate with you running out of a luxury good or not. Oh, oh that's what's going on. Because, yeah, I've got these, um, there's two systems and there's a sort of area between them, but there's this little gap and there's no other empires because I'm on the edge of space. And it keeps, I keep getting that gap filled in and then suddenly it will disappear and I'm yeah. thinking what, what's going on here why is that happening I'm trying to work out why that's happening and thanks for that because I couldn't work out no I, I'm the same I couldn't figure it out and I think it I was think that's maybe confusion. one of the problems at the moment there's just some things there's just not enough documentation that's just distant worlds all over though it's well, like yeah. it's really yeah it's it's really opaque, and I'm 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 one of these people who appreciates a little bit of opacity in games because I don't like to be able to, because when I feel like I could, you know I know all the formulas, I just feel like I've got to min max it, and then it kind of gets boring. That's why I love Shadow Empire because it's just got a little bit of opacity and a little bit of randomness behind the scenes that kind of prevents me from from hard min maxing it. But 
I think there, there, there comes a limit where you, you just want to know what something is doing. You know, you don't want to be playing in the, in the dark. And I think there's a little, there's a little bit too much of distant worlds that is still kind of just not very well explained. Like that's why it was great watching Eric play the other day on, um, on, yeah, that on was Twitch. Really that he was, was good. he was, I mean, can we all agree? How good is Eric at doing Twitch? He's so good. Oh, he's great. He, <laughs> yeah. He's so he's so calm, and he's, he explains things so well. And, and precisely, he, he doesn't waffle yeah. or go into to over-explain things. He's just clear and precise, and yes. he's awesome. Yeah, he's a, yeah, he's, a, he's a role model. But um, and but watching someone who is good at the game, who knows the game, play and explain some of the nuance in the game really opened that game up to me a little bit because uh, I realized I was missing stuff in it. Like, you know, some of the stuff about the government types, uh, it was watching him play with the Mortalin as the feudal empire. That was like, I, I need to do that. That looks so cool. And then playing it myself, I kind of, now I'm looking at the game in that more nuanced way. I'm starting to see that it really is like a great 4X game. Like Master of Magic is an interesting 4X game, but it's still very military based, right? It's kind of, you know, you have to win either by the sort of technological victory, which triggers the AI all attacking you, or you just defeat all your enemies, right? Whereas Distant Worlds is one of the few 4X games where you really, along with Galsiv as well as another one, where you can really kind of play peacefully. You still have to keep fleets. You have to you have to wield the big stick, you know, but you can kind of just play and win through trade, or you can play and win through like forming alliances. And man, the depth of gameplay is really starting to show now. I think it's. I don't. I'm. I'm not having all this people saying that Stellaris is a great game all all over again. I, I I tried playing again and I didn't see it at all. I think Distant Worlds Two blows it out of the water in a big way. At least for me. I know it's kind yeah, of a different game. It's a different game, and they, they've got different focuses. And I do think Stellaris is a great game for what it does. But yeah. I like Warfare. It's a good multiplayer game. It's a good. Yeah, it's it's, it's a good. It's it's kind of good for role play as well. It's a really you can do some wonderful things with your races and stuff. And and I like I do like the storylines they've got in it. Stellaris is a good game. I don't mean to you know, I don't mean to be an, uh, a knob about it. <laughs> let's say, but I do think that Distant Worlds Two is a better game. I think it's it's got a better combat system. It's one of, like I say, it's one of those few games where it's viable to play peacefully. You know, where it's viable to play as a trader. Each individual race or, you know, or faction can be played so many different ways. I kind of got a hint of this earlier on when I was playing with the Harkonish and playing, you know, as the Mercantile Guild. And that was so different as playing, I think, was that Feudal as well? Or I can't remember which of their other one is anyway, or it might have been the uh, military junta. But anyway, they, they those two different styles of, of government played so differently with the Harkonish that it kind of really changed the way they played um, to the point where you could, you, you immediately wanted to play another game with them. So you could try this other government type. And before, I mean, in Distant Worlds Universe, I just passed over the government types. I didn't really think that they felt like they made much of a difference. I don't know if that's just me, but Distant Worlds 2 just seems so much more fleshed out. Yeah, well, I think they've now changed it with the uh, like as well as you mentioned before about the whichever faction it was that you were playing, where they actually had like every twenty years they'd have like a a, a coup that would yes. then take over. Yeah. Now that's what happens in in that particular government type, where they actually have like a, a, a like it has a, a set amount before somebody will then rise up and take over, and then it sort of brings the whole empire into uh, into a, a time of chaos. But then there's other government types where there's an election that will happen and someone bet, better comes in and the whole, everyone feels uplifted by it. And yeah. so you've got, it's not just, it's not the same. Like which, which, whatever, when you choose a government type, there's so much in it now. 
yeah. which wasn't there in distant world universe. That's right. The Republican de- uh, democracies, they get a positive boost, whereas the more sort of militaristic and uh, authoritarian, autocratic kind of regimes, they have, a, you know, they have this period of turmoil and you've got to plan for them. Um, but of course, with you know, like with the the feudal government, with mo- monarchy to a lesser extent, and with the um, the military dictatorship, those those are very very powerful if you play in that particular style. So I think I was saying earlier on, like if you if you play one of those, you can expand very very fast. But the the consequence is that you then have to plan for this period of turmoil because you will lose planets. And by the way, when you lose a planet or two, especially if it's a highly populated one, you might go from having a you know a plus a hundred k per you know per year income you might go to a minus 100k because you've just lost two planets and those planets were so critical you didn't even realize how much tax you were getting from them and that's when you you know it can really throw a spanner in your works if you've not planned for these for these situations coming up so yeah I, i'm 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 blown away by distant worlds 2 right now i can't stop playing it. it's just really good fun can i answer both of you especially i guess daz as well what do you think of the weapon balance um Again, because I've not played much. For me, I'm feeling, especially early on, that missiles just seem to outdo any other weapon. <laughs> they just seem um, a bit overpowered to me. They are also big. Like they take, they chew up a lot of space. I've tried all sorts of different things. I don't really, I don't have a good feel for the different types of weapons. I tend to put torpedoes on uh, when, I, as soon as I get them, more than missiles because they've got, I think, a longer range. And actually, maybe they're, no, they're, I think they're shorter range, but they're, oh, they're they much do smaller. More damage the closer you are, though. Torpedoes, right? Yeah, they do drain off, so you have to actually rush in with the torpedoes. Whereas, yeah, you're right. The missiles are great for standoff. So. I tend to mix it up. I started using beams rather than rail guns recently, and I've enjoyed using them as well. I'm, I'm not really f- feeling that there's there's a, a massive difference, whereas um, in Distant Worlds Universe, I felt that the difference was was more defined. It, it, like it is one of those things I tend to just in my head go for rail guns because that's what, that's what I used to always go for in um, Distant Worlds Universe, but I've, I'm trying to now stop my thinking with that. I'm a railgun guy. I've got to be honest. I sort of default to those. I used to use Maxos blasters a lot as well, but I haven't used them at all. I used to use them all the time in this world's universe. I haven't actually even thought about using them in this world's too. I think this is the main thing as well. I mean, there's so much for us to discover in this game. You know, we haven't even come close to knowing exactly how stuff exactly works now. So yeah. I guess this is a Gives us stuff to do for the next year. <laughs> and just don't read yeah, any guides. That's true. Don't read any guides. That's what that's what ruined Distant World Universe for me. As soon as I well, read a guide. There's no guides. That's the good thing. Oh, no, there are. There's some very, some very good guides out there. Yeah. I know there's, there's some that, very uh, good guides. That Scott guy did one. I was actually asking for an update. He's got some really good videos as well, actually. He he did one, but there's also uh, somebody's actually done a really big, big analysis of the different weapons, which I thought was good. So I haven't read that, but I do mean to read that. Yeah, I'd like to. I think that's an area that I want to explore a little bit more. <clears throat> now the game is working properly for me, I just feel like I can actually get into playing with the, the uh, fact, uh, fleet design and the ship design. I really love the ship design in, in Distant Worlds 2 now. I know that some people don't yeah, like it's so it. Much but better. I think it's, it's so much, much better. I think it's so much better now. Yeah, that's no, great. Now they've they've kind of like, they've narrowed it down a little bit, but you know, just I, I do sometimes miss some of the freedom that you got with Distant Worlds Universe, but I, I do feel the game plays better now as a result, and the, just it it leans into the combat, and the combat's just way better than it than it ever was. It's just such an improved system. 
It's better balanced uh, because of the limitations. I, I actually really, really like them, and I also like the uh, the fields of fire, like the the firing arcs, make such a difference as well. If the way that you have to think about the, your your ship designs, yeah, you never used to think about because everything just shot from the middle. But now, yeah, exactly. You think it all well, yeah, because I'm I'm kiting away from them. I always want my PD sort of one on the back of the, of, of the ships I've got at the moment. So yeah, it's it's just added that extra layer to the game that you've got to think about and plan for. And it just gives you more options to do stuff and different ways of playing the game. I was disappointed when I first saw it. Originally, I know uh, Eric Tortuga was really disappointed. But actually now I, I agree, it's a really good change. And obviously it makes it easier for the AI to build ships as well. Sort of, although the, I haven't seen the, the AI use Tekken ships as effectively as a human can, because the Tekken ships, their main gun fires backwards. And so they're, they're designed for kiting, it, which is quite interesting. So the Tekkens, and also the Tekkens are, are awkward. They do play like a, like a dumb race. Who like plays Tekkens though, eh, does? <laughs> they are space hobbits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you remember saying that? I, I can't remember. Yeah, it must have been one of our in uh, one yeah, of our podcasts yeah. years ago. You're like, who plays Tekans anyway? <laughs> I, was, I was so surprised that they were one of the seven factions brought in. Because I, yeah, I, I really did think, what a waste. <laughs> <laughs> they're actually fun though. Like they're, they are. I, I, they, 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 they really. This is what I mean. I think the the faction, the factions are differentiated better now. And my understanding. is is that the uh, this DLC will be bringing in stuff that really kind of shows that they are committed to increasing faction asymmetry, which is something that Rob has been pushing for really hard. Like whenever he talks in the, uh, you know, in the in the closed beta, he's been pushing more for more and more faction asymmetry. And I think you, there's there's a line that has to be drawn with that. To be honest, like I think you know you can't just th- just make everything completely different and expect the game to work. Uh, but he is dead right that I, I think the as the game was was as it was released, there wasn't quite enough differences between the races still. And they, yeah, I, I, I do I do think that they are really working towards that now. Yeah, can't really talk about the DLC, yeah. but I think no, we're not, uh, not allowed to talk about that. We're, we're there there are things in that. there that we, we we can't we can't mention. No, but um, <laughs> I think what I think it, we, what we are allowed to say is that I think people will be pleased with some of the yes. stuff that's going to be coming in. Very in pleased, that regard. I think. Yeah, should we uh, think about wrapping this up, guys? Yeah, I think well, we covered a lot. So yeah, <laughs> I hope people are still listening now. It's two hours in. <laughs> I thought we were only going to speak about Master Magic for twenty minutes, but I think we did about. 50 minutes of that so yeah it was a good balance it's been a really good chat with you guys yeah no it's been gushing been over fun the games again. we love without rob being here to spoil it so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he'd be telling us to wrap it up and he, he would have told an hour ago he would have been going hey okay guys wrap it up <laughs> <laughs> please spell force it's the best game ever. it is a shame that rob's not here because i think he would have been able to round out the you know the yeah. kind of view on both games because I, I like you know rob and i feel very particularly about master of magic we feel very very differently about it and i don't agree with a lot of his criticism but some of it i think he's bang on the nose with it and you know particularly with distant worlds 2 uh, people won't really know this but behind the scenes rob has really been pushing for some of the changes that have come in 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 you know in distant worlds particularly so he's he it's worth listening to rob's criticism because he's been playing these games for a year like as long as does yeah. and you guys are you both of you have been you know old timers when it comes to when it comes to forex games and you know forex like games so when somebody like rob critiques your game you need to listen because you know he knows what he's talking about he's i don't think he's always 
correct about everything but you know as somebody who is busy and you know spends a lot of his little spare time that he has playing games he's kind of he's trying to seek out games that are something that he's going to enjoy and it, it's not always a game that is going to involve tons of micromanagement or lots of city management and that kind of thing well i thought his video that he just put out on uh, on age of wonders 4 was brilliant mm-hmm. like it really was so so balanced I, I think he covered the 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 areas that were like so yeah you're right he does he really looks at games in a very unique way and uh, i think he's yeah he really does add a lot of value when he does get involved in games early because he he does see things that a lot of people don't articulate very well yeah he does and that's why he's he's basically on the beta of pretty much every 4x game like all the big ones that are coming out, he Rob is Rob is going to be in there some at some point. So it's one of the reasons why Explorminate kind of punches above its weight with regards to the amount of attention we get from publishers as well. And you know, thank you to everyone who supports us, by the way, including all the publishers who who give us access to games and access to the developer time that on, that they on, only usually reserve for much bigger outlets. And it is because of Rob, because Rob is you know so well kind of well respected. His opinion is well respected on Forex games. Even if he is wrong yeah. sometimes, in my opinion, but you know, he thinks I'm, I'm wrong. He's, about he's wrong most opinion. times. He's, he's like you. He's wrong most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> uh, it's it's like five in the morning. I've just got no comeback for that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only joking, of course. Yeah. But <laughs> no, no, no. no if, got... if, I, I do want to give a shout out. I know that's inside your own. Uh, group here, but if, if people are listening to this and haven't actually uh, seen his take on Age, Age of Wonders Four, definitely, definitely have a read, uh, have a look at that, and look at it all the way through. Uh, a lot of really, really good information that he actually put into that. Uh, I think it was a twenty-minute video, so it wasn't even that long. I didn't even know that one had come out yet, actually. So um, yeah, that's that's cool, man. Yeah, Rob, Rob's been he has been playing it. Okay, guys, we're going to wrap up anyway. I hope you enjoyed this kind of long-form discussion on Master of Magic and Distant Worlds Two, and uh, you know. Thanks very much to Daz Tactic for joining us. Well, thanks, guys. Yeah, I always, enjoy, I really, really enjoy uh, coming on and talking with you guys. I sort of, I always feel so comfortable. Like it's just, uh, we can joke around it. It's just, it's just great. Like yeah. so, um, no, it's it's really, really cool. So thank you, thank you for the invitation. You're always welcome, man. I enjoy having Daz on because he can tell you and Rob how wrong you are all the time. <laughs> exactly. That's not just me. <laughs> and then Daz will go on Chat Tactic in a couple of days and just tell his audience how wrong I am constantly too. Yeah. So it's starting to become a bit I of a pick on you. I feel bad about it afterwards. I always, I oh, always no. feel guilty that I've said, oh, I've given battle mode too much of a hard time. No, 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 no. I, I mean, look. No, yes. I don't really. You're just, you're, just getting me, you're just getting me back for everybody. Like, oh, hi, battle mode in the chat. How, how's it going, battle mode? <laughs> you're trying to run a show. <laughs> Stealing your thunder. It's good having disagreements, uh, I think, yeah. and it's good being able to disagree openly with people. It's sort of rare nowadays in the world, and... Um, I value it. I've always have valued sort of robust discussion about things, and so I do. I do love. I feel with like with you know, uh, you know, Drexy, Ben, and and Rob. You know, the three of you, we can just talk openly about what we what we like and don't like, and we can have open disagreements about things, and it's great. Well, it's healthy, isn't it? Eric Tortuga as well. Like you know, like Tortuga Power. I'm the same with him as well. Like we often disagree about stuff, and it's it's good you're able to examine a game from multiple perspectives. And um, I hope I was able to at least give some of Rob's critics, criticism um, on Master of Magic and Distant Worlds 2 tonight. I wasn't very eloquent with him. I think it's just difficult for me to, to do anything other than caffeine-fueled rambling at this time of the morning. But 
Um, Drexy, thanks for joining us, buddy. It's always good to have yeah, you. Yeah, no problem. This is great. Um, yeah, really enjoyable. Love having Daz on. And it's, it was really good to hear you animated about Forex games as well for, for the first yeah, time. Yeah, I was yeah. a bit rambly at the start. I had a bit too much coffee. Uh, <laughs> to, no, no. It's I, kind of wearing I, I, off. I, now, I honestly but... <laughs> mean that it's nice to hear you enjoying Forex games is what I meant. Oh, uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's weird. It's just suddenly these two games have come along and suddenly that's all I'm playing is 4X games. That's a real uh, indictment on the changes that have come to those games too, which is exciting for like, like I've been playing them for all the time and I've loved, loved them the whole time, but to hear somebody who didn't like it has come back a year later and, and has completely changed their, their thought process is really, really, it's exciting. Mm. Yeah. I'm happy because I was so looking forward to Dismals too. I even took like a a week off work to play it when it was released. (laughs) (laughs) I was just so disappointed. And I thought, oh, they're never going to be able to fix this. And they've done it. And, you know, again, like I keep saying, it's not perfect. But what they've done within a year, from what I've seen, is amazing. And it's kind of given me such hope of what this game's... Because Distant Worlds 1... I bought it, I think maybe the first DLC was out when I bought it and it was still a bit there. And over time, that got better and better. And now I can see Distant Worlds 2 is going to be exactly the same. They're really dedicated uh, to this game. Well, I heard the Distant Worlds Worlds took a lot longer than a year to become a good game. Oh, yeah. Rob was saying that it wasn't, he didn't really think it was really there until oh, yeah. until Universe was released. And I think, no, well, I would say probably the first, between the second and third DLC. Yeah. That's yeah. when it well, started this is, to really this shine. is good in a year. I, I mean, if they didn't release any more content now, I'd be disappointed, but I'd still think that it was a good game. Like, we need more races, definitely. But if, if the game didn't really change much from now, I'd be kind of happy. Uh, but this is just the start. Eric keeps saying this. Says, Look, this mm. is just the start. We've got plenty more to come. You know, hang hang in there, and you know, it's uh, it's it's good that people have stuck with the game, and I'm, it's very very heartening to see that the 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 Steam reviews are better. They're on the edge of a mostly positive now, I think um, overall, yeah. and yeah. they're sixty nine percent. So another one more percent, I think it is, and then they're up to mostly positive. I also will say I've had in the four years I've played, I had one crash. I think one happened when it was auto saving. And there was one bit of lag when I killed a pirate station. I was a bit wide because this was quite early in my game. And I've not actually had one since. Mm. And I'm always zoomed into the battles. So, yeah, I mean, because when, when it originally came out, I thought, oh, no, they've made a big mistake making this 3D. There's no way they're going to be able to make this game as complex as it is run on a 3D engine. Bringing in uh, those extra guys to help, has yeah. made such a big difference, yeah, so. and and the performance actually, is actually really so, good. Sorry, that. one thing we haven't mentioned was Freeview. I mean, that's yes. been... oh yes, Freeview is really good. <laughs> it is really good. It, do you know what? that's? It's such yeah. a small change, but it's made such a difference with how the battles look. Yeah, I think that was one of. I, I think I made that suggestion. I I in my feedback, I thought, why don't like because I, I was I was asking sort of for it, but then I was thinking you've got trail. I think I put that as feedback in the beta at one point because I was just thinking you've got to be able to make use of that because you've got it anyway. Like with your uh, trailing, you know, you could trail the ships. Yes. To spend all this money and time making this 3D engine, why not use it, you know? Exactly, um, so, yeah. And, and I think like the, the combat is so much better now. I'm going to keep saying this so that people, it sinks in. It's so much better now. And being able to watch it 
like all play out especially if you've spent time setting up all your fleets you know with these different you know like standoff certain ships are playing close escort you can really really get into the into the meat of it this is one thing i will say about the automation of the game it's so much better and you could even if you play fully auto it's so much more fun it's like an auto battle you set it up watch it go and it just it will just do interesting things and being able to watch that you know from any angle and with all the sort of lighting effects going off and the ships all flying around one another it looks really cool now yeah it kind of reminds me of EVE Online. I know it's a multiplayer game, but EVE Online's like that. You kind of win the battle before you warp in. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. but, I mean, that's, that... but it's down to planning and ship setup. And Distant Worlds is kind of the same. You can micromanage also, it, though. You can, sorry, you can, you can manually. Yeah, you can micromanage and you can, you can, yeah. you can turn. You can turn like a really doomed battle around if you're really careful. Um, you know, you, you can do some great stuff, man. I remember one time I was, I had this wolf pack where I had like th- um, two fleets of five ships with stealth and they were destroyers and they were quite lightly kitted out because they had to have the stealth gear, but they were going in and attacking stations. And then these big enemy fleets would turn up, maybe 20 ships, you know, big defense fleets. And um, I would just about get away, maybe kill one of their ships, take a little bit of damage, but then get away. They'd fly off and then they'd come and attack from another direction and it, the ai was just struggling to deal with it because you know these just these two fleets that were just kind of sneaking around and, and attacking attacking their shipping attacking their private industry you know destroying their mining stations and that had to be that had to be manually controlled because the uh, the ai at that point in the game wasn't good enough to be able to do that properly whereas now like you know you can you can really play with those kind of settings yeah. yeah, especially if you've got cute orders. Wink, wink, yep. nudge, nudge. <laughs> hint, hint. <laughs> okay, guys, we're going to wrap up. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll catch you next time. Take it easy.